Hello and welcome to the Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Adam Castor, and I'm here with my co-host, Ed Birdsall. Mr. Birdsall, let's go Rangers. Let's go fucking Rangers. Let's go let's Rangers. Let's fucking go. What a Alexa. phenomenal, phenomenal night of draft lottery hijinks that went on. Yes. Yes. Uh, for those of you that, don't, that do not know, uh, the Rangers did win the draft lottery last night in case you do not have Twitter and had no idea of the mass hysteria that was going on on Twitter because apparently the, the, the theory out there was the Rangers ball was, was weighted a bit differently than the rest of the balls. So that way it would be more likely to go in and be the number one overall pick. Well, that and sounds like something I've, I've heard before about another team that plays in the, in the garden. Yeah, exactly. And the, uh, the guy from Ernst Young, who was um, proctoring the draft lottery, dropped the Rangers ball because it was much heavier than the rest of the balls. And my theory to those people, my response to those people is, fuck you, number one. Number two, the guy just doesn't have great hands. He's not in the NFL for a reason. The guy works for Ernst Young, and he's on national television in his one shining moment at being the guy that's proctoring the NHL draft lottery. And he got a little nervous, dropped the Rangers ball, and the Rangers ended up winning the lottery. And, and, and Toronto should have won it if it wasn't for the John Tavares double doink. Yeah. That was so, hilarious. That was quite funny. That was quite freaking funny. But now we have all of the, uh, the rumors out there that, oh, Buffalo should offer Jack Eichel for the number one pick. And, oh, Toronto should offer Austin Matthews for, for the number one pick and Alexa Lafreniere. And no. Can they play no. wing? Can they play on the wing? Because no. we don't need any more centers necessarily. We do need centers. We absolutely need centers. But this kid is a blue chipper. Yeah. Alexi Lafreniere is a blue chip prospect. You take him. Jeff Gordon, listen to me. John Davidson, listen. Take him. This kid is a 15-year superstar. They'll be playing in Madison Square Garden every night for the rest of his freaking career. You take him. Yep. But, yeah. I mean, not to, you know, go on a whole segue into talking about the Rangers, which is why the Basement Talk podcast should have a hockey podcast, and I think we can go on for hours talking about this. You look at the future for the Rangers. I mean, Shesterkin, Adam Fox, if they can get Tony D'Angelo re-signed, Jacob Truba, Lindgren, uh, Libor Hayek, Keandre Miller, Niels Lundqvist, uh, Kapokako, Mika Zibanejad, Chris Kreider, um, Artemi Panarin, yeah, and now Ryan you bring, if you can get Ryan Strom resigned, yeah, and now you bring in Alexei Lafreniere. Oh my God! Yeah, no, this is this is great. The the funny thing is that step on trade. Actually, I think the Rangers probably in hindsight, I think the Rangers won the step on trade. Yeah, and you bring in Vitaly Krasov too if yeah. uh, if he if he pans out. But uh, I think the moral for all of this is. Fuck Leah Sanderson, and hopefully he enjoys wherever he goes. Yeah. But <sighs> if, for the video, for the lack of video component for this podcast, um, my virtual background right now is, in fact, the man himself, Alexei Lafreniere. 
he is he's with me always. And if he needs a friend when he moves to New York, he can always call me. I'll be his friend. Yeah. Well, uh, before you go in, because I know you have another uh, quick question for me. Yes. But um, let's just talk about one thing that happened for the news and notes, and that is Lamar Miller. Lamar Miller. Who signed with the New England Patriots. Another addition to that crowded, crowded New England Patriots backfield, who basically have four players that could make a case. Well, maybe three players that could make a case for them getting a lot of uh, carries in uh, James White, Sonny Michelle, and now uh, Lamar Miller. And I think for fantasy, it's not – you got to really pay attention to his health. He had the nasty ACL injury that uh, cut a season short. So you really have to kind of figure out where, he's, where he is on that front before you invest in the Patriots' backfield or in Lamar Miller specifically. But I think this just makes the Patriots' backfield a bit more um, chaotic. And I think this is probably going to lead to one of either James White or Rex Burkhead to uh, be shown the door in New England. Probably right. Because I don't think they're, they're not going to give up on Sonny Michelle when they, uh, dry, they spent a the first-round pick on him. Um, yeah. Probably. I think it also could signify that uh, Sonny Michelle with his foot injury – is probably not good to go. And they are probably looking for an extra body. Um, if he's not ready to go and that foot is not ready to go, he'll go on the pup and he'll be uh, out for six weeks. And if they need a another body there, they have Lamar Miller, who, who we've seen be effective for yeah. NFL teams in the past. So, um, you know, can he be – a sort of stopgap option for the Patriots. Yeah, surely. I mean, this is a situation that I'm definitely looking at as, you know, Lamar, Lamar Miller, he's been good before again. And if Sony Michelle is not ready to go, and if he's going to miss half the season and you're looking for a potential running back, someone that'll get you volume, I think Lamar Miller could be good for fantasy. I don't think, like, I don't think RB too good, but can he be a flex with maybe RB2 upside certain weeks? Sure. I guess it's more of like, a, I don't know, you always hear like touchdown dependent flex. I think Lamar Miller is an injury dependent flex because if somebody's out, then he's going to step right in and do. And, you know, he could do well. He's, like you said, he's a proven running back at the NFL level. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not touching Lamar Miller until I have more clarity on what the deal is with Sony Michelle. But right now, it's obviously not a good sign if Sony Michelle is being—I don't want to say replaced—but they're definitely are they're definitely are bringing cover for something, and I think something's going on in New England that we don't know about in regards to the uh, running back situation there. So it's something that I think every fantasy owner definitely has to look at and be very, very careful of when going and investing in the Patriots running back situation. I still believe James White 
is the guy to own if you're going to go ahead and choose one. Definitely in PPR. In non-PPR, I would probably say still James White. But if we know that Sony Michelle is going to be out for half the season and it is Lamar Miller, James White, Damian Harris, Rex Burkhead, any one of those four, you know, have your choice. Uh, in non-PPR, I would probably choose Lamar Miller. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what's your one quick question for me, Bird? So the one quick question of the day is, who do you think is going to have the most regression from last year to this year? So regression being who was the guy that popped off last year that you think comes back down to earth this year? Well, there's also positive regression because basically regression is like regression to the mean, to the average. Right. That's what what I'm asking. Yeah. Good Good way or bad way. Yeah. Who do you think is going to have regression to the mean? Hmm. That is interesting. I mean, I could tell I could tell you one off the top of my head. Sure, you want to go first so you don't so we, so we don't just like sit here in silence? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll definitely go first. Um my guy is Devontae Parker. I was skeptical of him uh going into last season. Again, this is a guy that his first 3 years in the league was not very good. And then he goes and plays with Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is just known to launch the ball around the field. And all of a sudden, Devontae Parker finds God. Now, if Ryan Fitzpatrick continues to be the guy, and he is the guy for the uh, for this season at least for Miami, then I think I think my my take is wrong. I think Devontae Parker could be very good again. But if it's Ryan Fitzpatrick for the first half of the year, and then Tua Tagovailoa comes in, and he's he's the guy. Uh, there are definitely going to be reasons to be concerned uh, with Devontae Parker and need to factor in that Preston Williams is going to be back in the fold. And the interesting stat that uh, I found when I was doing my research about this question was when Devontae Parker was on the field with Preston Williams, Devontae Parker averaged 11.5 points a game. When Preston Williams was not on the field, which was weeks 10 to 17, Devontae Parker averaged 19.3 points per game. The Miami wide receiver room is a bit empty right now with Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns opting out for the season. So there are definitely a ton of targets to go around for Miami, but I think the return of Preston Williams definitely hurts Devontae Parker a little bit. But if Ryan Fitzpatrick is the guy there should be no reason why Devontae Parker falls off. He just got a very, very nice contract extension as well with Miami. So it signals that they trust him, that they want him to be the guy, than their number one receiver. But at the end of the day, the stats don't lie in that he was less effective with Preston Williams than without him. Without him, he was one of the top five receivers in fantasy come the second half of last season. So uh, for me, I'm going with, uh, Devonte Parker as my guy. So mine is, it's not as much as uh, as Devonte Parker necessarily, but I think it's still. This is a guy that we're actually going to be talking about in a couple minutes. I think DeAndre Hopkins is going to regress. Ooh, next year, not a lot. Take bold take. Not a lot. Not a lot though. I mean, this is a guy that he's going into a new offense here new coaching staff, new quarterback, no tra- barely any training camp, no preseason games. 
I think it's going to be, he's going to be like a slow starter in 2020 trying to get into a rhythm with Kyler Murray and uh, the rest of the, uh, the Cardinals offense um, as far as either, you know, not only Kyler Murray and Kenny Drake and the rest of the receivers, but also uh, the offensive line as well. And like blocking schemes and things like that, having to just kind of adjust to not only that, and then also playing in an incredibly tough division, probably one of the best divisions in football as far as not only teams, but also cornerback talent going up against uh, some of the best corners in the league six times in 2020. I think DeAndre Hopkins is going to, is going to regress. He's still going to be a, a great, a great receiver. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think we're going to see somebody that would like, he was in Houston where he was being drafted as the first receiver off the board. So are you saying that you're sour on all the Cardinals? Sour relative to where they are going. DeAndre Hopkins turn round one, round two, Kenyon Drake, round two, round three, Kyler Murray, round six. Are you sour on them? Not necessarily. I think I just don't think for I just don't think the the high standards, the high ceiling that DeAndre Hopkins has set for himself over his career, I don't think he gets there in 2020 is what I mean. So you would, you would not take him at the round one, round two turn? No. I'd probably take him in the middle of round two. Okay. All right. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, I have a couple of other guys, Dan, that I thought uh, were particularly interesting. Uh, A.J. Brown is one that I am not high on at all. Uh, the big number that I was doing my uh, projections and looking at his numbers from last year is A.J. Brown averaged 20.2 yards per reception last year. That is astronomically high. That number, there is no shot that that number is going to repeat itself. So A.J. Brown, I, I believe he's in for big, big regression. But I still think he'll be a viable fantasy asset. I just don't think he's going to be a 20 yards per reception sort of receiver it's just not what Tennessee looks to do it's not in their profile to want to go and have a guy that you know they're going to bomb it to you know it's just not who Tennessee is it's not who Ryan Tannehill is and to be honest I don't think that's the kind of receiver that AJ Brown is either to be completely honest um, and then another guy that I have down that I think is going to regress slightly is Aaron Jones that, that is another yeah. guy that I think is in for a big-time regression. Uh, he had 19 touchdowns last year, which are tied for the most in the National Football League with Christian McCaffrey. And I look at, well, what Aaron Rodgers is going to look to do. I think Devontae Adams, who basically was non-existent the first half of the season, then really came on the second half. I think Devontae Adams you know, really comes back with a, with a real roar uh, this season, I read you my projections for him when we covered the NFC North. Go check out that uh, episode if you missed it. Uh, Devontae Adams is in for a big season. I have him down for that. Uh, and I think even that the Packers do want to incorporate A.J. Dillon a little bit into uh, into the game plan. He, he barely was a 1,000-yard rusher last year. And I look at the 19 total touchdowns, and I'm saying to myself, yeah, there's no way that a guy who is barely a 1,000-yard rusher 
is going to get 19 touchdowns again. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So for me, Aaron Jones is a big, 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 big choice to have a little bit of regression. And I mean, I'm saying that Aaron Jones is going to be, you know, a bad choice, but for me, where he's going middle of the second round, that's too rich for me. Way, way, way too rich. I would not be picking Aaron Jones until late part of the third. That's just where I think he he should be going because there's just too many questions there that, for me, that I am just trying to avoid at all costs. We didn't really mention any positive regressors. Alvin Kamara is the most popular choice. Yeah. That's, that's everybody's big-time choice, that everyone thinks Alvin Kamara is in for some positive regression. And I, and I agree. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, I mean, how about more negative regression? Uh, I, I, I think I say this every single year, waiting for it to happen. It doesn't happen. So maybe I'll throw it out there and I'll take the abuse for it later. Uh, Derek Henry. It's going to happen. I, I agree with you. He's, this is the kind of player that's going to be like run into the ground with Tennessee. You, you can't have I that agree. many, ca- you, have, you can't have that many carries and still have sustained success in today's NFL I agree. as a running back. I completely agree. And who says, who says that Tennessee will be, you know, a very, very good football team. They have to be winning in games and winning by a pretty large sum. If Derrick Henry is going to be getting the kind of touches that will make him a viable RB one. And to be honest, they're going to be a lot of games, quite frankly, where Tennessee is going to have to throw the ball. And where does Derrick Henry fall into that game plan? He doesn't. He doesn't catch the ball out of the backfield. Right. Right. So I like Derrick Henry. I, I finally gotten on the Derrick Henry bandwagon of understanding that all he does is run in a straight line and he runs in a straight line better than anybody else in the National Football League. But the regression's going to have to come eventually, and it could be it could be this season, but we'll have to wait and see. I mean, the 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 bottom line is the Titans as an entire team just completely scare the daylights out of me. Yeah, it's crazy because this is Derrick Henry is the kind of play is the kind of player that he was kind of like okay average his first couple of years in the NFL, and then in 2018 he broke out and. Then, and in 2019, of course, the Titans started using him a lot. So that that mileage on him coming from not only the University of Alabama, but also from his uh, years in Tennessee is going to take a number, is going to take a toll on him. And you see it all the time with running backs, where if you keep using if you keep using them consistently for a bunch of years, give them like 300 carries. A couple of years in a row, they're going to wear down. Like, look at Steven Jackson as a good example of that. It's a very good example. Yeah, and I'll give I'll give you one more for positive regression. Mm-hmm. Juju Smith Schuster. I was gonna I was thinking about that one also. Yeah, you could you could even group every but every big name in the the Pittsburgh Steelers offense if mm-hmm. Ben Roethlisberger is healthy. James Conner, Juju Smith Schuster, Eric Ebron, even. Yeah. Well, I think I mean, I'm not saying a, Eric Ebron's yeah. going to be a 10 touchdown guy, but can he get back to what's this 2018? <laughs> exactly. But can he go back to being a high end tight end two for fantasy? Sure. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's possible, 
but it, it all comes down to Ben Roethlisberger and his health. And this, this football team will be as good as Ben Roethlisberger is, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. All right. So next thing we're going to be doing, we're going to be finishing off our little mini series that we've got going on here, where we've been previewing every single division in the NFL from a fantasy perspective. Four weeks. Four weeks it took us to get to this point. And in case you didn't realize how process of, of elimination works, we are at the NFC West. The, I think, is the best division in football because of how many good teams are in this division. Basically, all of them have a chance to make the playoffs. Hey, Adam. Yes? We're talking about the NFC West, right? Mm-hmm. Does that mean we have to talk about Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo? Unfortunately, it does. Oh, God. And Tyler Lockett? I don't, I don't know. I like Tyler Lockett. I don't know. I've never, I've never been a Tyler Lockett guy. I've never been a Tyler Lockett guy. But we're talking about Tyler Higby. That's fantastic news. Yeah. Well, on the bright side, you know, we get to talk about Russell Wilson as well, who's phenomenal. True. True. That's an easy one. And, and my, one of my favorite receivers in the National Football League, Mr. Bob Woods. Mm-hmm. Bob Woods. Bob I mean, Woods, hell of a guy. Haven't haven't really heard people call him Bob, but sure, teach their own. If you're on that, if you're on that sort of basis with them, then far be it for me to complain. I mean, I bet you've never heard someone call Frank Gore Franklin Gore. Jokes on you. We are, we did the AFCs first. Well, I'm calling him Franklin Gore from now on. All right. I mean, it's his name. Anyway, we're moving on to the Arizona Cardinals. That's the team we're starting off with, and we're talking about Kyler. Kyler Murray, the first player we're going to be talking about for the Arizona Cardinals. And what a rookie season for yeah. Mr. Murray. I mean, just such a solid year. A total of 400 or 4,200 yards and 24 touchdowns. That's total yards from scrimmage. And yeah, this is the kind of player that has some solid upside heading into 2020. I mean, he's got a number one receiver even though I think that DeAndre Hopkins will regress somewhat, he's still going to be amazing. Like, let, like, don't get me wrong here. He's still going to be amazing. And the offense surrounding Kyler Murray is probably making Josh Rosen weep in a corner somewhere. He's like, why didn't they do that to me, do that for me when I was in Arizona? Because Kyler Murray has a solid offensive line, a great running back, and a legit – number one wide receiver and honestly a pretty good number two wide receiver in Christian Kirk as well. And you, and you still have Larry legend there too. Yeah, I know. So this is, this, this team can go places if Kyler Murray keeps up on the momentum. I agree. He's my number five quarterback right now. And it's very close between him and Russell Wilson as to who I would put at number four, number five, I basically have them being the same guy. I kind of flip flop on them every single day. Um, but right now, for this podcast, I settled on Kyler Murray as my number five quarterback. Uh, 24 total touchdowns, like you said, Adam. 4,200 yards from scrimmage last year for, for Kyler. The one thing with him, though, that I think he's had to work on a little bit this season is being a bit more protective when it comes to uh, the football. Had a total of 17 turnovers last year, 12 picks, five fumbles. But you look at what he does in terms of throwing the ball, 65% completion percentage last year. That is phenomenal. 3,700 yards passing, 6.9 yards per attempt. That's outstanding from him. 
And then you look at the rushing upside as well. Almost 100 attempts for 544 yards, almost 5.8 yards per attempt on the ground, which is fantastic. And four rushing touchdowns from Kyler Murray. So at the end of the day, what I expect from him is I have him down for 3,900 yards, about 26 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Then I have him down for 91 attempts for 483 yards and four touchdowns. So basically the yards, the passing yards go up, the passing touchdowns go up, the interception, the interceptions come up a little bit and the rushing touchdowns basically stay the same. So essentially we're talking about the DeAndre Hopkins effect, which gives Kyler Murray a bit of, of a boost when it comes to his passing numbers. But overall, I think this, this Russell uh, Kyler Murray is going to be fantastic this year. And he's one of my favorite quarterbacks to uh, go ahead and draft. It really, it really is a toss up, honestly, between him, Russell Wilson and Dak as to which of those three quarterbacks I like as the best of the rest after Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. It's, it's real, real, real close. And I flip flop between the three every single day, but I really understand how people really, really love Kyler Murray this year. And I, I am one of them. Well, it's, Honestly, telling how highly you think of him, considering that you almost called him Russell Wilson. True. Very, very, very true. Put him in that same category. Hundred percent right. All right. So the running. I just think I think of Kyler, and I just see Russell Wilson. I mean, they're very similar, in the sense that they're short quarterbacks who like to scramble, who have pretty solid teams around them, play in the NFC West. So, yeah. Uh, all right, the running backs. Uh, Kenyon Drake was the – after Kenyon Drake was traded to the Cardinals from the Dolphins, he was the number one in the offense, basically. But Chase Edmonds had – there was a stretch where Chase Edmonds was tearing up the league. I like to think of the Giants game where he had a multitude of touchdowns that won people weeks that week if they – had the pleasure of starting him, which I don't think a lot of people did because he was just like, oh, it's a backup for the Cardinals, whatever. What I can confirm that I did. All right. So it must have been great. It must have been a great week for you. He's like, wow. It was I just, fantastic. I, I loved every second of it. 40 points? Sick. Love that. But this is really – what do you think about this room in the sense that is Kenny Drake – the is this not – is this a committee or is this like a, a one-guy backfield? What are you thinking here? <sighs> That's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Um, I think that this is a one-man backfield. I think if it was a committee, we would have seen Cliff Kingsbury give David Johnson a run, and he really didn't until the end of the season when you know it was really all said and done uh, for the Cardinals. However, something and I just I just don't know what it is because I like Kenyon Drake I think he's really talented but just something tells me there's just something fishy about this and I I just I can't put a finger on it as to what exactly it is I maybe it could be the fact that Kenyon Drake is basically going at the round two round three turn and that kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies maybe it could be that I just don't trust Cliff Kingsbury to be committed to just one guy. It's, it's really, really tough with Kenyon Drake. I I just don't, 
I can tell you I like Chase Edmonds a whole lot more for where he's going than Kenyon Drake, which is kind of frightening to say. And I, I honestly, I want no part of this backfield. I want to see it first before I'm really willing to go ahead and invest. Um, I mean, this is, I think Kenyon Drake for me is a guy that has a really, really high ceiling, but he does not have a very safe floor. And anybody who knows me and how I play fantasy, I always gravitate towards guys that have a very, very safe floor. And Kenyon Drake just does not have that at all. Um, But in terms of where I have him and and what his uh, projections are, I have him down as my RB13. So he's just outside my top 12 running backs. He's right after uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So he's, he's an elite RB2 for me. I don't have him as an RB1. Can he be? Absolutely. Will he be? I, I don't want to project him as that. Uh, and I think my numbers are going to really say it, you know, pretty clearly that I just don't think Kenyon Drake is, a, is an RB1. I have him down for 197 carries for 937 rushing yards, six rushing touchdowns. And I have him down for 46 receptions for 402 receiving yards, three receiving touchdowns. So overall, I think those are very solid numbers to be an RB2. Can he outperform that? Absolutely. But again, it's just someone that I have massive, massive questions about. Yeah. And I think that the fact that not only is it because they got like one of the best receivers in football in this trade, but the fact that Cliff Kingsbury was like, we're going to trade away David Johnson, our number two running back. Because I think it's it's more of an indication that they believe that Chase Edmonds has the potential to really be a part of this backfield. I agree with you. I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I have him down for 107 carries for 446 rushing yards, four rushing touchdowns, and I have him down for 27 receptions for 159 receiving yards and two receiving touchdowns. So I think at the end of the day, Chase Edmonds, it, for me, he's the way better value than Kenyon Drake is. I think if you take Kenyon Drake, you better make sure you get Chase Evans. Yeah. Because this is a backfield that can be very volatile. And I think Cliff Kingsbury is not afraid to uh, give someone the hook. And if Kenyon Drake does not perform, we could be seeing this backfield run by Chase Evans. Yep. All right, moving on to the wide receivers. This is fun. This is going to be a fun position group that we that we get yes. to go through here. Yes, it will be. And... Uh, the number one receiver is DeAndre Hopkins. Went to moving, I mean, he he's on top of the world. Moving from one competent quarterback to another competent quarterback. This is like unprecedented for his career. And he's gonna he just he's the number one in this offense. There's no questions here. I think the the biggest upgrade of all is he went from Bill O'Brien to someone not named Bill O'Brien. That is true. That is very true. I think somebody, that's reason to celebrate. Somebody that will know how to really utilize him in in the offense. Yeah, exactly. And I, I agree with you, Adam. I think that DeAndre Hopkins does take a bit of a dip from last year's numbers. Had 104 receptions over 15 games, 150 targets from Deshaun Watson, which is incredible usage. But you look at his numbers basically with Deshaun Watson – 163 targets, 174 targets. Those are ridiculous numbers. And DeAndre Hopkins was utilized and utilized heavily. 
Oh, we have breaking news. Holy crap. Oh, boy. What is it? The Big Ten canceled football. Oh, that is pretty wow. big news. That's a blow. That's well, a big blow. The, uh, the Big Ten canceled football and the Pac-12 is also looking at uh, canceling football as well. Yeah, college football's done. Yeah. College football's done. Um, so going back to DeAndre Hopkins. Jeez, um, i got to regroup now. Uh, and you look at his yards. Uh, almost 1,200 yards receiving, seven touchdowns, which was a, a definite dip for him. I look at the numbers that I project for DeAndre Hopkins. Again, I don't see him being a 100 reception guy. I agree with you, Adam. I have him down for 92 receptions for 1,127 receiving yards, nine receiving touchdowns. So I had the receiving touchdowns going back up, but the receptions and the yards coming down just a hair. But at the end of the day, he's my wide receiver six. I have him right behind Chris Godwin. And I think he, he no doubt is going to be a wide receiver one, but it's just a matter of where we've seen DeAndre Hopkins be a top three receiver. Is someone were to tell me that, you know, is living in, uh, in December, January, and they were to come back and tell me, hey, um, DeAndre Hopkins finished the top three receiver, I would not be surprised one bit. Yeah. Well, the interesting the thing you have to look at about DeAndre Hopkins, you mentioned his target share uh, earlier, is that, this is he's not the only person in this offense that can catch football anymore. No. And that can stay on the field. Kyler Murray has Larry Fitzgerald, of course, and uh, Christian Kirk to throw the ball to, as well as, I mean, maybe Dan Arnold and Max Williams at tight end. You don't really know. And he also has mm-hmm. Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds out of the backfield to throw to. Throw to. So the ball is going to be going around a bit more than it was in Houston. You know, spread around more than it was in Houston. So I think that would probably contribute to DeAndre Hopkins having not as good of a season, but still an amazing season regardless because it is DeAndre Hopkins that we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, I have Christian Kirk down for 64 receptions, 768 receiving yards, and four touchdowns. So, I mean, I have Christian Kirk taking a, a pretty decent chunk out of DeAndre Hopkins, but not enough where I'm saying, you know, don't draft DeAndre Hopkins, you know, or, or, or really causing panic about DeAndre Hopkins. No, 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 no. That's why I want to qualify what I said. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Christian, I'm like, listen, yeah, Christian Kirk, Christian Kirk will be fine. He'll be a, he'll be a middle of the road flex option. If you need to use him or a deep option that you can go and use in, uh, in a third receiver spot or a flex and in, in deeper leagues. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's totally fine. Um, Larry Fitzgerald, I have down for 60 receptions for 605 yards and four touchdowns as well. So there's going to be plenty of the ball that's being spread around between those three receivers. And then, of course, you need to look at the, the running backs as well and the occasional tight end touchdown that will may probably occur from, uh, from Arizona. I mean, I mean, honestly, I know what would solve the Arizona Cardinals tight end problem. It's signing Logan Paulson. You know what? I like the way you think. Thank I, you. I, I agree. Thank you. I think Logan Paulson should be signed by the Arizona Cardinals. Honestly, they should have signed Jordan Reed at tight end, frankly. No. No, they should have signed Logan Paulson. I mean, Logan Paulson's obviously better than Jordan Reed, but I'm just saying that uh, Logan Paulson is the best tight end in football. Mm-hmm. You're right. He's better than Travis Kelsey. Forget, forget what we said last episode. Hey, Adam. 
Yes. Are you aware that the uh, DeAndre Hopkins trade for David Johnson was the second worst decision that Bill O'Brien made as head coach of the Houston Texans? Really? What was the first worst decision? Cutting Logan Paulson. You know what? You're right. I wholeheartedly agree. Disgraceful. That is absolutely shocking. Mm -hmm. Bill O'Brien should be fired immediately. Hashtag cancel Bill O'Brien. Get it trending now. Yes. Uh, Before we move on. Cut Logan Paulson. That is just disgraceful. I know. Before we move on to Larry Fitzgerald. Man has a family. Hold on. Before we move on to the 49ers here, do you want to talk about Larry Fitzgerald for a bit? No, I want to rant about Logan Paulson. Okay. I talked about I talked about Larry Fitzgerald. I gave my, I gave my projection for Larry Fitzgerald. Okay. So let's I move think on. he's he's okay. a low end flex that barely cracks your lineup unless something happens to Christian Kirk or DeAndre Hopkins. All right. So let's move on to the 49ers. I... And sign Logan Paulson, please, Arizona. Yeah, do that too. 49ers, yay. You sound so sick of my shit. I am. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> You're welcome. It happens. It happens, Adam. All right. 49ers. We talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. No. We have to talk about the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Here, Adam, I have a, I have a great idea. Yeah. How about we, ju- we just talk about George Kittle and don't talk about any of the 49ers? Done. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah. I guess briefly, Jimmy Garoppolo is more of a system quarterback than Tom Brady ever was. He, it's just, he's not worth, he's really not worth it. Excellent call, Adam. In fantasy. Excellent call. But Tom Brady's still a system quarterback. But Jimmy Garoppolo learned from the master at being a system quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is a system quarterback. He learned from the system quarterback master. (laughs) I'm going to take this microphone and smash it over my head. We just need to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo and get this over with. Same thing with Jared Goff. When Jared Goff comes, we quickly talk about him and we move him out of the way. Yeah. So this is the kind of this is a person, a quarterback that really is not all that worth it in fantasy. Uh, he's really been coasting. All, I mean, George Kittle, of course, is worth it because he's one of the best tight ends in football. But he's really the only reason that Jimmy Garoppolo is relevant because that's who he's going to be throwing to for his touchdowns. And, um, yeah, it's just there isn't really much to talk about with Jimmy G. And I feel like moving on to the running backs, so let's do that. <laughs> I can give you his projections. We can move on swiftly. Okay. Uh, he's, my, he's my QB 25. I have him down for 476 passing attempts for 3,826 passing yards, 23 touchdowns. 13 interceptions, and that's kind of that. I'm not drafting Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't care how handsome he is. I don't care that he played for the Patriots. I don't care that he was coached by Bill Belichick and was an understudy of Tom Brady. Jimmy Garoppolo is one of the most overrated quarterbacks in the National Football League. He will never be good for fantasy. Let's move on swiftly. Yes. All right. The That was easy. That was very easy. See, it's like ripping off a Band-Aid. That's what it is. That was very easy. I like that. Yeah. The running backs for the San Francisco 49ers are kind of a clusterfuck. Um, Raheem Mostert, actually, I don't even think we talked about it with our news and notes. We talked about how he allegedly requested a trade. 
but uh, his contract got restructured and he's going to be in San Francisco for the uh, foreseeable future. So along with him, there's also Tevin Coleman and the returning Jarek McKinnon from injury. So I don't know. I'm not really a fan of this running back room at all. No, I'm not either. It's just, there's so many, there are three players that have the qualities as a, as a starting running back in the NFL. I would say two, Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert. Um, I don't trust Jarek McKinnon in his health. I just don't see a situation where you could potentially rely on Jarek McKinnon to be in every down 15, 20 carry back. And then you sprinkle in, you know, receptions there. So you're talking 20, 25 touches. I really don't expect Jarek McKinnon to ever be that guy. So really it comes down to Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman. And I, I honestly, it's, it's an every week sort of guess as to who the guy's going to be. That's how it was and, last and, year. Yeah, it's exactly how it was last year. Half, first half of the year was Tevin Coleman, Matt Breida. And the second half of the year, it was Matt Breida, Raheem Mostert. Doesn't make like, any sense. It made no sense. It made absolutely no sense. So uh, Raheem Mostert is being drafted right now, 60th off the board. Oh, God. This is just a mess. This is a mess, 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 mess. I, I, something tells me that Raheem Mostert, given the way that he finished the season, will be first in line for carries, but I feel like the leash is very, very short in San Francisco. I have him down for 173 carries for 800 and 35 rushing yards, seven rushing touchdowns, 20 receptions for a buck 64, and two receiving touchdowns. So overall, nine total touchdowns for Raheem Mostert. Well, my thing is, I think that since Jerk, or since Tevin Coleman did really well in the playoffs, uh, in the NFC playoffs, not the Super Bowl, I think that he'll, he has an equal right or an equal leg up in the offense for uh, the most touches along with Raheem Mostert here because they both, they both like Raheem Mostert had a breakout seat, a finish to the year, but then Tevin Coleman really turned it on the playoffs. So it's like for Kyle Shanahan, it's like, well, which quarter, which running back am I going to go with here? They're both, they've both done uh, solid things for me. They both have uh, potential to be pretty, pretty good here. So it's just a, a coin flip, and that's really what you don't want to deal with in fantasy football. You shouldn't have to be psychic to be good at fantasy football. You shouldn't have to be. You shouldn't have to predict how a coach feels when they wake up in the morning on what running back they're going to give the most carries to. You want certainty when you're playing fantasy football, and this backfield does not give you certainty at all. No. No, there's no consistency in this backfield as evidenced by my projections for Tevin Coleman. I have him down for 152 carries, 627 rushing yards, six rushing touchdowns, 21 receptions, 173 receiving yards, and one receiving touchdown. Basically, I have a 60-40 split going the way of Raheem Mostert with Tevin Coleman very much sprinkled in. But honestly, it can go any which way. I don't know who's going to be the guy on a week-to-week basis. Um, stay away from this running back situation. It's a disaster. I mean, if you're getting Raheem Mostert in round seven, round eight, then I would invest cautiously. If you're investing in him to be your RB2, God bless you. If you're investing in him to be your flex, that's okay. 
If you're investing in him to be your RB3, RB4, terrific. You better have a starting option if you're going to go and invest in this backfield. You better have two starting options, and you better have a flex because there is just no trust in this backfield because this is a backfield, honestly, where you could be watching the games and you could say, oh, why is Raheem Mostert only at three carries for nine yards? And then you realize Tevin Coleman has 10 carries for sevens for 70 yards. And you're saying to yourself, well, fuck me. This is Tevin Coleman week. I'm screwed. Yeah. Well, that's basically just like, oh, well, I guess I fucked up. You don't yeah. want, you don't want to be in a situation where you're going into a Monday night game and it's like, well, I need two points from Tevin Coleman and it's Matt and it's Raheem Mostert week. And you're just like, well, I guess I lost. Pretty so, much. Uh, I've been there. I, I think we all have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the wide receivers aren't, aren't, as, aren't really better. It's still – it's a lot of unproven names here because uh, Emmanuel Sanders is no longer here and um, Marquis Goodwin is no longer here as well. But, I mean, that's kind of irrelevant because he opted out of the season anyway. But he, he was traded to the Eagles and he's opted out of the season. But uh, Debo Samuel looks like to be looks like he's going to be the guy in this offense because he has the most experience. When he returns, uh, John Lynch said that uh, Debo Samuel is likely to miss two or three weeks yep. as, he, as he rehabs from, uh, from his uh, broken foot. So yes. as of right now, the number one receiver in this offense is looking like it's rookie Brandon Ayuk. Well, I think the number one receiver in this offense really is George Kittle. But Fair, fair. Uh, that's, that's a fair point. But uh, as far as the actual wide receivers in name are concerned, Brandon Ayuk is going to be the guy in the traditional number one receiver spot on the right outside. Um, I mean, do you want to, is there anything else? Like, is there any other receivers you want to look at here as far as like Jalen Hurd, Kendrick Bourne, Trent Taylor, or our Debo Samuel when he comes out, comes back and Brandon Ayuk, the only guys worth looking at? I mean, those three are kind of wait, wait and see sort of guys. Uh, I'm not really looking at them very much. Uh, Debo Samuel is a guy where if you have an IR spot in your uh, in your leagues, uh, definitely try and, and get him and stash him for the first couple of weeks. Uh, he's being drafted relatively pretty high considering uh, considering his foot injury. He's being drafted 69th nice overall, um, which is, again, it's very shocking given that he's going to be out for two or three weeks and he's still being drafted in the latter part of the sixth round. I mean, that's a minor miracle. Um, I have him down for 51 receptions for 681 receiving yards and four receiving touchdowns. Again, I'm just not a big fan of this 49ers offense in general. So yeah, my numbers are going to be definitely lower than others, but that's just my own personal feeling about how I feel about the 49ers offense. I just think this offense is a disaster outside of George Kittle. Um, Excuse me. As for uh, Brandon Ayuk, uh, I got got to pull him up in my uh, in my projections here. Um, I mean, this is a guy that I was very high on when he was coming out of Arizona State. I think that this is a kid that honestly he can he could flat out play. Just the real question is for me: Will he get that opportunity to go ahead and do that? in year one and 
he's going to have the opportunity to do that the first couple weeks of the season. So odds are he's going to be the number two pass catcher to George Kittle's number one. And if he gets the opportunity and he builds a really nice rapport, Jimmy Garoppolo, Debo Samuel could be easily replaced as number one receiver in this offense by Brandon Ayuk, who a lot of people were very high on coming out of the draft. I was very high on him. And then he went to San Francisco and that kind of soured a little bit, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how that all works out. So with Brandon Ayuk, I have him down for 46 receptions for 597 receiving yards and five touchdowns for him. Uh, he's, I think he's a guy you can kind of draft and you wait and see with him. If he balls out, then you start him. Uh, if he doesn't and he's kind of pedestrian when Debo Samuel comes back, then you could probably cut him and, you know, you not have, you know, much to uh, to really be upset about given he's being drafted right now at 159th overall. So basically he's going undrafted in most leagues. Yeah. Um, let's just move on to George Kittle and how amazing George Kittle is. Thank goodness. Because after this, we have the uh, completion to our sandwich of awful with the Los Angeles Rams. I'm sorry, say that again. The completion of our of sam- our sandwich of awful. Yes, our back-to-back of awful. This is why you are a radio professional there, Mr. Caster. That was very, very well done. Yeah. So, yeah, George Kittle, you're drafting him in the top three of tight ends. That's what you're doing. He's my number two tight end. Yeah. There you he go. My number, he is my number two tight end. You are drafting him second off the board when it comes to tight ends. I have him right now at uh, – aha. He is my 19th overall player. So, basically, I would be okay with taking him at the 2-3 turn in a 10-team league. In a 12-team league, I would be okay with taking him at the end of round two. Yeah. I mean, this guy is amazing. He's the only – good pass catcher in this offense only good only uh, proven pass catcher in this offense yes and Jimmy Garoppolo loves George Kittle like a brother one thing he learned one thing he learned especially from Tom Brady not only did he learn how to be a system quarterback but he also learned how to utilize his tight end that is a major lesson I think that was day one of Tom Brady school is you see that tight end over there you should throw the ball to him all the time. George Kittle, he is the number one pass catcher in this offense. He is Jimmy Garoppolo's best friend, as Adam Castor apparently knows, because he has very close con- connections with Jimmy Garoppolo and knows that Jimmy Garoppolo dreams about George Kittle every night and, uh, and says very, very nice things to George Kittle, and makes him, which makes him his best friend. I'm just going based uh, off, of, off the evidence on the field here. I have George Kittle down for 93 receptions. 1,097 receiving yards and seven receiving touchdowns for Mr. Greg Kittle. George Kittle. Mr. Greg. Mr. Greg Kittle. Anyway. If you know, you know. Yeah. So the Rams, I was – this is actually interesting as far as, you know, comparative statements go, is that the T's and the NFC West, they actually mirror each other in a way where some of the teams do, where you could say that the uh, 49ers and the Rams are very similar in the sense that they have system quarterbacks and they have kind of mediocre running games and good defenses. And, you know, we talked about the comparisons between the uh, Seahawks and the Cardinals, where they have 
where the Cardinals of this year kind of remind me of like the Seahawks of 2012 and 2013 in that way, where they're an up and coming team that with a young quarterback that uh, people didn't really expect to come on to burst onto the scene. But starting off here with the Rams and uh, Jared Goff, why? Just, just why? Jared Goff is in the same boat as Jimmy Garoppolo, where it's just not worth it. We really have to talk about Jared Goff. We really have to do this? Unfortunately. Oh, God. Um, he's my QB 21. This is like the exercise that I think that I would do when, uh, when I'm trying to get you to say something nice about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. You would have to try and get me to say something nice about Jared Goff and Marcus Mariota. Can you? No. See, now you know how it feels to be on the other side of that. I would say Jared Goff plays in a wonderful state and in a wonderful city. And Marcus Mariota loves God and Jesus. Good enough. I'll take it. They're shitty quarterbacks. Um, yes, they are. And you want to talk about a system quarterback? I know. This is, this is the poster child for system quarterbacks. Oh, no doubt about it. We're, this is the fucking poster child. Yeah, we are seeing uh, 2016 Jared Goff before our very eyes. Yes, even though I think his numbers are going to be quite impressive given um, what I have his uh, projections down for. This guy, the last two years, low-key, was a 4,600-yard passer in both of those seasons. The thing was, last year... His touchdown numbers were absolutely fucking terrible. 22 touchdowns to 16 interceptions. That is just god-awful. That's terrible. So if we're really going off of how I think Jared Goff is going to be, I think he's going to be fine. Like a very, 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 very choice word is fine. I think he will be fine. 4,400 yards. I have him down for 4,409. We'll call it 4,400. 25 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, and I gave him two rushing touchdowns. I think he'll be fine. I mean, you see the decrease, the downgraded personnel that he had over the sea over the off season. Is it downgrade? In offensive, per, in offensive personnel? Is it a downgrade? I don't know if it's a downgrade. I mean, the players that he lost. Like, the offense is still good. I, see, I think Josh Reynolds at this point is a better fit for the offense than Brandon Cooks was. Hmm. Yeah. He still has Robert Woods. He still has Cooper Cup. It's true. I love Tyler Higby. We'll get there in a minute. Um yeah, you can make a case that Todd Gurley definitely is a, is, a, is a massive miss, but is he really when he was not healthy all of last year? It was almost like he wasn't there at all. It's true. I mean, I, didn't, I don't know. I just did. The stats are good. I just don't see anything that excites me about Jared Goff. There's nothing sexy about Jared Goff. He's a very vanilla sort of pick where he yeah. can completely bomb you, but he won't 
jump off the page and it won't be like, oh, wow, Jared Goff, number three quarterback of the week. Holy smokes. Yeah. You know, that's not going to happen. It's like if you, only if you're playing like the Giants or something or Washington that you'll probably be finished as a top five quarterback in a week. Or the Cardinals. Or the Cardinals. With their horrendous defense. Yeah. I, mean, I, know only, yeah. Simmons is, I know Isaiah Simmons is there, so don't come at me and say, oh, wait, oh, wait, what about Isaiah Simmons? We haven't seen shit from Isaiah Simmons. Exactly. We don't even know. Just draft, draft all the tight ends in the NFC West. Draft them all. George Kittle, Greg Olson. Uh, who the hell didn't I say? George Kittle, Greg Olson. Tyler oh, Higby. and Tyler Higby. Tyler Higby. Yeah, because they're, the they're, they're all scoring touchdowns against the Cardinals. Yeah. Just don't draft the Cardinals tight ends. Yes, do not draft the Cardinals tight ends because they cannot play against their defense. Yeah. Unless uh, suddenly inter-squad games count for fantasy. <laughs> That's my, I, my, my, that might be what has to happen if the season's going to finish. They just play their games in a bubble, inter-squad games. Oh, my God. I think at that point, never mind. <laughs> There are some teams that probably still would go under 500 if they had to play their practice squad players. <laughs> oh, God. All right, we got to talk about these running backs now? Yeah. All right, so. Oh, God. <sighs> the running backs for the Rams, we have uh, Daryl Henderson, and the Rams also drafted Cam Akers in the second round. And they have Malcolm Brown as well. And they have Malcolm Brown as well, who filled in pretty well for uh, Todd Gurley when he was injured last year. It's just – this is another running back room where it's like, is this a committee? What's going on here? Yes. Are any of these guys worth it? Yes. Just yes. Yes to all it of is them? A com- it is a committee. What about my second question? I think there are players that are worth investing in, and I do believe this is going to be a committee. And the real question is, is there anybody that's going to stand out? If I had to pick someone – that I think would stand out from this committee. I think it is Cam Akers, uh, the young rookie from Florida State who they just drafted in the second round of the 2020 NFL draft. I, I kind of have his numbers being very similar to what Raheem Mostert's were, uh, 173 carries, 685 rushing yards, six touchdowns, 33 receptions for 242 receiving yards and one receiving touchdown. So. I have him being drafted right now as the RB27. He's, he's going right now at 68 overall. So you could basically get him in the sixth round, which I think is, is fine if you're looking for uh, a running back with a little bit of upside. Well, I should say a lot of upside uh, to Cam Akers. His upside is being the number one back in, in LA for the Rams. And we all know what they like to do with a lead back. You know, they, they really like to pound the rock with them. And is Cam Akers going to be that guy, or is that guy going to end up being Darrell Henderson? You know, we'll we'll have to see. I mean, Darrell Henderson, it's only a second year, and people are already forgetting about him. And I, I really don't think that people should be forgetting about Darrell Henderson uh, so quickly. I mean, I have Darrell Henderson down for 130 carries for 537 rushing yards, four touchdowns, 27 receptions for. 213 receiving yards and one receiving touchdown. I will say about the Rams running backs, however, that they have the toughest strength of schedule for running backs this season. 
So maybe this could be a a uh, a rushing game that maybe you're better off staying away from if you're not so sure, given the very tough uh, run defense they do have to play. Week one, they start right up against the Cowboys, who had a top five rushing defense last season. Uh, so that could it could be something that you just definitely want to just say, you know what, I'll stay away from this. I'll let someone be the guy. And then maybe next year, if someone does emerge as the guy for the Rams, uh, you go and invest in them then. But right now, uh, if I had to guess, I would say it's Cam Akers would be the guy that I would go ahead and uh, and pick. But I preach caution. Again, it's a rookie. We, yeah. We've, I think, we've beaten the dead horse here with uh, – with the rookie conversation and how I'm just very, very concerned about, about the rookies. And this is, this is situation is no different. I don't blame you. I do not blame you. I mean, we really have hit, we've kind of said this ad nauseum about yeah. how rookies are not to be trusted immediately. And yeah. Yeah. I feel like we'd be saying that probably about 150 million more times. Mm-hmm. Um, the wide receivers. This is fun. And yes. another great position group here. And Robert Woods is going to be the guy. Bob Woods. Bob Woods. The guy in this offense. Yeah. And it's, get, it's looking great for not only Robert Woods, especially since Brandon Cooks is not uh, there anymore, but Robert Woods and also Cooper Cup as well. Yeah, I mean, you look at Robert Woods and his numbers from a year ago, 139 targets last year, which is his career high by a mile. 90 receptions last year, a little more than his previous career high, which was 86 set in 2018. But the number that really stands out to me besides the 1,134 receiving yards is the two touchdowns. Where were the touchdowns last year for, for Robert Woods? And that was really one of the things that truly hampered him uh, in terms of being a guy that you could rely to week in, week out. He was very, very safe. He got you he got your receptions. He at the end of the season he was absolutely terrific. But the touchdowns just weren't there for him. So at the end of the day, with no Brandon Cooks there, there are some opportunities for touchdowns. I think Robert Woods does get enough touchdowns this season to justify being a high end wide receiver too. I have him down for eighty eight receptions for one thousand one hundred and two receiving yards and five receiving touchdowns, which is basically his career average. So at the end of the day, I don't think Robert Woods is going to be a wide receiver one, but I do see him being a wide receiver two with pretty safe floor and a pretty reasonable enough ceiling. Yeah. Uh, what about Cooper Cup in this offense here? See, now this is this is the uh, the curious one because a lot of people were really Cooper, – Cooper Cup was on pace to be a top five receiver. And then he just kind of fell off after the bye. He was not the same guy after the bye week. And there are a lot of questions that I think people have with Cooper Cup, given, of course, that he is a part of the Rams. And, you know, what, what, what is his offense going to be on a, on a week-to-week basis? I think Cooper Cup is fine. I have him literally back-to-back with Robert Woods. And I look at his numbers from a year ago. 94 receptions on 134 targets, 1,161 yards, and 10 touchdowns. I think the touchdown number absolutely comes down. I think the receptions go down a little bit, and I think the receiving yards go down a tiny bit as well. But still a very impressive season that I have down 
for Cooper Cup. I have him down for 86 receptions, 1,076 receiving yards, and eight receiving touchdowns. So I think Cooper Cup could be the guy with the greater ceiling, but I think the safer floor is Robert Woods. Yeah. But either one of these guys are fantastic for for fantasy. So go ahead and, and, and take them. Yep. Um, before we move on to the wonderful tight ends that the Rams have, uh, just speak pre- briefly on Josh Reynolds here. You know, I, I like Josh Reynolds as a, uh, as a potential sleeper. I know that um, there are people in the, uh, in the industry that do feel the same way as I do, that Josh Reynolds uh, could be a sneaky little ad at the end of drafts this year. Um, I, the only problem with me when it comes to Josh Reynolds is I, you need to see him. If you're projecting a breakout, you need to see him being better than the other guys at his position. And I just don't see him being better than Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. But can he be productive? Absolutely. No question about it. And I have him down for 52 receptions for 627 receiving yards and three receiving touchdowns. So at the end of the day, he's a very, very solid ad in a deep league. In a 10-team league, I probably wouldn't go near him. In a 12-team league, maybe at the very end of the draft, you can make a case to add Josh Reynolds. 14, 16, absolutely, he should be drafted. Yep. Uh, The tight ends, actually, for the Rams are really interesting to me because the Rams like to run the two tight end set. Yes. And uh, that involves Tyler Higby, of course, who you've been hyping up for this entire episode, seemingly, and Gerald Everett, who is pretty good in his own right. Yeah, and honestly, I think Gerald Everett, people want to write off and say that he's done. I don't think Gerald Everett – is done. I do think that he's got a pretty big part to play in the offense for the for the Rams. Remember, he's a second round draft pick. The Rams are just not going to throw him out and say, "Oh yeah, you're you're nothing to us anymore." Adam made a great point. The Rams do like to run a lot of two tight end sets, and Gerald Everett will be on the field a whole hell of a lot. And I think it it, it could put a dent in Tyler Higby a little bit, but not a lot of it. I have him down for forty receptions for 382 receiving yards and three touchdowns as for Mr. Tyler Higby. The love of my life at the tight end position if I had to choose one for this year. I will say that I am kind of nervous about Tyler Higby a little bit given how he finished the season last year, four games of over 100 yards, nearly got to five in week 17, but the guy was just a monster at the end of the season. Seven seven receptions, seven receptions, 12 receptions, nine receptions, eight receptions. PPR, he was a monster. He was an absolute monster in PPR, and he won a lot of people leagues at the the end of the season, no questions asked. But now we got to take it and we got to say, can he do what he did in five games at the end of the season? over the course of an entire season? And it's a very good question that a lot that a lot of people have. I think he can. And I think, I'm not going to say he's going to be a 100-yard guy every single game, but I think he's a guy that can be very, very consistent. He's going right now at 107th, which 
basically you're saying he's one of the middle tight ends coming off the board with guys like he's going ahead of guys like Rob Gronkowski, going ahead of Jared Cook. I would take Tyler Higby there all day long. So I had Tyler Higby down for 67 receptions for 734 receiving yards, five touchdowns for Mr. Tyler Higby. I think he is the tight end to own in this offense. And again, you're taking him in the 10th round. That's outstanding value. I would take that all day, every day. Yep. All right, last team, the Seattle Seahawks. Yes. And this is another team that is interesting where – and we're actually not going to have any trouble talking about this quarterback in a positive way, and that's Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson has been phenomenal for practically his entire career in the NFL, his entire eight-year career in the NFL. And this is a player that has uh, solid receivers in Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, um, great tight ends, well, pretty good tight ends in Greg Olson and Will Disley, and a solid running back core with uh, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, and, or yeah, just Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. So what are you, what are you looking at here for Russell Wilson? Well, I said he's my QB4, so yeah, um, that's something that, for me, I'm jumping all over. I think the thing with Russell Wilson, though, that definitely turns a lot of people off of him a little bit when it comes to fantasy is he definitely is a much better real-life quarterback than I think he is a fantasy quarterback. And that's saying a lot, given his, his career numbers and looking what he did last year even over 4,000 yards, 31 touchdowns, only five interceptions. And there are people that will say that Russell Wilson is, is not a great fantasy quarterback. I think he's a very good fantasy quarterback. I know I've owned Russell Wilson a couple times, and I'll be the first one to say that Russell Wilson definitely has dogged me a few times. And then I'll say that Russell Wilson has been fantastic. So it really just depends on the kind of Russell Wilson that you get. And I will say this year that he's got a ton to work with. Tyler Lockett coming back. DK Metcalf, who I expect big things from. Uh, Greg Olson, I expect marginally big things from. So Russell Wilson will have plenty of guys that he can get the ball to. And I think he's in for a pretty decent year. I have him down for 3,984 passing yards, 30 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 75 rushing attempts for 388 rushing yards and three touchdowns. I like Russell Wilson a lot. He's my QB four, and I think he will deliver on the QB four promise. I think he he's a lock really to finish top five. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. I could not agree more. I've always been a fan of Russell Wilson, whether it be uh, real life or in fantasy uh, for the running backs. This is a, an interesting tandem considering that uh, Chris Carson seems like he's, is the guy the number one in this uh, in this backfield? But the uh, Seahawks did draft Rashad Penny last year with the first uh, with a first round pick. So you have to think that Pete Carroll is going to want to use Rashad Penny in this offense as well. That will eat into Chris Carson's carries. But I think that Chris Carson's still a worthy play 
in the around the area that he's going, which is around the I think he's around the David Johnson Le'Veon Bell area, correct? Chris Carson? Uh Chris Carson is going. Let me just pull it up on Fantasy Pros. He is going right now 15th. So he's going in the Austin Eckler, Kenyon Drake, Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette sort of range. Well, that's interesting. I mean, he's pretty good though. He's a good running back. He gets your volume, if yeah. if anything else. The thing with Chris Carson that, you know, kind of I don't want to say it scares me, but there are definitely durability concerns when it comes to uh, Chris Carson. They just acquired Carlos Hyde. So clearly there is a bit of a trust issue that Pete Carroll has. Chris Carson also has a fumbling issue as evidenced by the seven fumbles that he had last year, four of which were lost fumbles, but he had 278 carries last year. That's outstanding. 1,230 yards. That's outstanding. Seven touchdowns. Really good. So, if anything, he's a volume play, but as long as he keeps the football in his hands, there should be nothing that, you know, pulls Chris Carson off of the field for the Seattle Seahawks. I have him down for 252 carries, so just short of that magical 260 number, but I have him down for 1,123 rushing yards, eight rushing touchdowns, 36 receptions for 263 receiving yards and two touchdowns, 10 total touchdowns for Chris Carson, over 1,300 yards from scrimmage. This is a guy that I think is locked and loaded to be a potentially low-end RB1. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And again, you know, it it really comes down to, to volume. Yes. If, if anything else, he's going to be a guy that gets you a ton of volume. He will get you 15, 20 carries every single week, pending he keeps the ball in his hands. Yes. Um, do you want to talk about uh, Rashad Penny a bit more? Or I think, I think the guy there is Carlos Hyde. Yeah. As, a, as the backup? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think Rashad Penny's time is uh, just about done. Uh, which is sad because I really did like him coming out of uh, San Diego State, but was put I in a terrible that, situation is the thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that ship is uh, definitely uh, come and gone. Uh, I think Carlos Hyde is there as the as the backup slash handcuff to uh, to Chris Carson, and um, yeah, I think that's just kind of that. Yeah, uh, the right the wide receiver group, the receiving core is is really really inspiring for me. I really enjoy this receiving core. DK Metcalf is the number one receiver in this offense, poised to have a breakout for in 2020, along with the uh, steady Tyler Lockett here. I mean, this Russell Wilson has options in this offense. Yes, he does. He yes, has he a does. fair amount of options here. And DK Metcalf in the red zone, whew, oh boy. I mean, yeah. a, guy that, a guy that size? Forget it. Yeah. You just throw the ball up, and you're like, oh, yeah, he'll catch it, whatever. I don't even have to look. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Tyler Lockett. I actually have Tyler Lockett ranked above DK Metcalf, but they are one spot, one spot apart. I have Tyler Lockett as my wide receiver 22, DK Metcalf as my wide receiver 23. Tyler Lockett I have projected for 76 receptions for 1,052 receiving yards and eight touchdowns. 
this comes off of last year where he reeled in 82 receptions on 110 targets for 1,057 yards and eight touchdowns. Basically, I have Tyler Lockett being the same exact guy as he was last year, and now he's going to be partnering himself with a full season year number two of DK Metcalf, who is the talk of the fantasy community, and everybody is just going nuts over the potential of DK Metcalf and what he could potentially do this year. Um, I'm cautious about DK Metcalf. I'm not going to say that he's a stone-cold breakout, but there is a lot here that could potentially go the way of DK Metcalf. I have him down for 67 receptions for 978 receiving yards and nine receiving touchdowns. So if anything else, this is a guy who's got a reel in a ton of touchdowns for Russell Wilson. And I think he's perfectly, perfectly placed as a low-end wide receiver, too. At the, end of the, at the end of the day, I think Tyler Lockett, I think his floor is very safe, but his ceiling is not that great versus DK Metcalf, where I think his ceiling is being a wide receiver one, and his floor is low. I'll put it that way, low. So I think if you're looking at these Seattle receivers, I think they offer something a little bit different depending on which one you want to go for. Personally, I like DK Metcalf a lot more than I like Tyler Lockett, and that's not really the direction that I usually lean when it comes to fantasy. I usually like the high floor guys a bit more, but I think DK Metcalf is extraordinary, and I love him this year i think that he's a guy that i will be looking to take in nearly all of my drafts if i can get him yeah all right last but not least the tight ends honestly i think in this and this team tight ends oh no they're not really the least position group here because uh greg olson is there for what might be the last season of his career he's getting he's getting up there in age and uh and then there's also will disley behind him who unfortunately uh had a season cut short by injury in week six so hopefully he's going to get back to uh to form there Uh, what do you think about this tight end group here i think it's greg olson who's uh leading this tight end group i think he's a veteran he knows uh, what he's got to do. And I think, honestly, this is the most consistent tight end that Russell Wilson is going to have since Jimmy Graham, quite honestly. And I think Greg Olson is in for a pretty nice season. He's going right now at 193 is ADP, going undrafted in most leagues. I have him down as my tight end 24, so he's a low-end tight end too. I think he can deliver that. I can, can deliver on that. I think he can deliver a little bit more. I have him down for 45 receptions for 483 receiving yards and four receiving touchdowns. So in a deep league, two tight end league, Greg Olson could be very, very solid for you. I think he can deliver more because, of course, he's Greg Olson and he finds a way to magically perform for fantasy owners literally every single year. And I think this will be no different given, of course, he's now playing with arguably the best quarterback that he's ever played with in Russell Wilson at age 35. Yeah, no, I don't think there's an arguable thing about that. Because I think that Russell Wilson is better than Cam Newton. Because that would be the only competition. Yeah, even even if Cam Newton is in his at his peak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Russell Wilson's much better. Yeah, uh, I agree. 
I agree with you. Um, Greg Olson's going to be the guy here. Uh, unfortunately, I think, you know, Will Disley as the backup, he's probably – he has this injury history that will – that could hold him back. I mean, I don't know. Could you see the, the uh, Seahawks running like two tight ends or is it really just going to be Greg Olson? I think it's just going to be Greg Olson unless something happens to him. Then I think it would be uh, Will Disley after yeah. that. Yeah. So I think that that's probably solid value if you're getting him as a tight end 24. Just don't expect him to be the Greg Olson that he that he once was because it's just not going to happen. I agree. Uh, and with that, that concludes our divisional preview. That concludes it. Our divisional Oof. preview miniseries is over. It's done. Oh, my God. Yep. Very exciting. Anyway, uh, next time, next week, what do you think we're – what do you have in store for our listeners? Uh, we are going to be starting our position previews. So we'll be talking about sleepers, breakouts, busts for every position. And I know that we're going to be doing quarterbacks, tight ends in uh, their own episodes. So it'll be, you know, one episode, one episode for quarterbacks – one episode for tight ends, and then we'll split up uh, the running backs. So we'll do a running back part one, running back part two, and we'll do a wide receiver part one and a wide receiver part two. And by the time we're done with that, we're basically gearing up for the start of the regular season where we're basically going to be doing up, breaking news before the end of the show, uh, Pac-12 football season canceled. Done. Yep. All right, so that's that. and we'll be doing for the regular season. We'll be here uh, two, maybe three times a week, depending on you know everyone's schedules and you know what we could work out. If it's not me and Adam for three days, it'll be me and, and somebody. But Adam will definitely be on. This is this is our show. We're doing our thing. Um, you know we'll be doing you know week wrap ups, talking about everything that happened during the week. We're we'll doing waiver wire shows, uh, and we'll be doing uh, week previews as well. So uh, definitely keep it tuned in to the Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show because we are going to be here as long as we potentially can to uh, keep you entertained and informed during the uh, the upcoming NFL season, which keep our fingers crossed, unlike college football, will actually happen, will actually be played, and will actually be finished. Yes. With that in mind, thank you for listening to this episode of the Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show. You can find all episodes under the Basement Talk Podcast umbrella on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud, and the name is just The Basement Talk Podcast. Please leave us a five-star review and a comment on what you think or what you thought about this episode and all of our previous episodes. And we will talk to you next week where, we, where like Bird said, we'll be going into our positional previews. And for my co-host of Birdsall, I'm Adam Castor, and we will talk to you next time on The Basement Talk Podcast Fantasy Show. Bye-bye.